before they get up and tell you on the mainstream media. But they have to get these handouts. So in other words, everything really is scripted ahead. That's what tells you they're all scripted. We're living through one massive script right now. The most incredible script ever written, I think, in all the ages. Because we're going through the greatest transformation into a planned society that uh, very rich people, international bankers, agencies, MI6, MI5, uh, CIA, Mossad, and a whole bunch of other ones, and all the, the Soviet ones too, have been working on for an awful, awful long time. Back with more on this after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Talking about the world being scripted. Life is scripted on an incredible level. That's why it works so well, no one can believe it. But it, all it takes really is cooperation with a few very rich people who then put out foundations for, for charitable causes, as they call, they call it. Philanthropists, they call themselves. And mind you, they, they also have a, a great tax write-off by having these front uh, foundations. A lot of them started off that way. And under the guise of philanthropy, they actually create NGOs, non-governmental organizations, fund them to the hilt, tell them what they have to do, uh, often give them their names for them. And, um, and then they demand on behalf of the people and get lots of airtime on media and press time uh, what they say the people want. These unelected NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that's how the whole greening movement was started and is still financed today through the, the parallel governments, as Professor Carroll quickly called them, big foundations and their front groups, the non-governmental organizations. And I say this plan was written a long, long, long time ago bringing in a global society, you have to go into the books and try and get a hold of the books which are written uh, from about 1900 onwards to do with this coming global society. And members of the League of Nations and the big rich bankers of the time uh, wrote books about bringing in this world government. And they even mentioned they would even possibly need wars on an incredible magnitude to bring nations to their knees to accept global government. They also set up the League of Nations, as I say, and departments within the League of Nations, which became the United Nations. And when it was called the League of Nations, they had a department of population control from the very beginning. Because, you see, the top boys see the world as their own. They already were, were the owners of a good chunk of the planet's natural resources. They've been putting out emissaries across the planet for a long time to find out where all the minerals were, gold, silver, diamonds, everything, and putting mines up. In fact, where I lived here, just north of me, is Sudbury, named after Lord Sudbury. And it was a mining town in the middle of nowhere, and still the same today as the mines that keep it going. And they mine all kinds of incredible minerals out of there, and copper, and 
sometimes gold will hit silver and various other things. But it was the Rothschilds who had the, the ownership basically of the town. And the main square there was called Rothschild Square. And on the old library books in, in the library in Sudbury, you can see uh, the big building itself. It says the Rothschild Building, Rothschild Square. And regardless of the changes of names of corporations to corporations, it's still the same boys who run it and own, own it. That, that's, now, they're doing this across the whole planet. They'd already done it. They'd already done it by the late 1800s. And they were the specialists in one field. Now, I'll jump to, to Julian Huxley and Aldo Huxley. Both of them agreed, coming from the same family background and related to the Darwins and all the rest of them, that uh, they were part of the scientific elite and hinted, going about Plato's Republic, etc., they hinted that they were bred for that, that particular area, a scientific elite. And they didn't just, just have scientific elites. If you look around you, you look at the great things that run all countries, and you have finances. Okay, so you have a banking elite. That's what they specialize in. They often go into, as I say, to resources, and that's why they send people out like Cecil Rhodes to take over the mines of Africa, uh, diamonds, gold, and all that kind of stuff, and high in minerals in Africa. They also decide to go into food. Not, they wouldn't till the soil, of course. They simply put the small bankers out of business and put in agribusinesses, which they would own. That has pretty well been done. There's only uh, there's a small amount of farms left across the world. And the ones that are still independent are getting hammered by government and government agencies for violations, uh, like E. coli and all this kind of rubbish, you see, to get them out of the way. That's, all, that's the reason for it, get them out of the way. The United Nations Department of Agriculture said it was, farming was too important to be left to farmers. See? If you look into the cultural industry, same thing. You have intergenerational actors and actresses always promoting the same agenda because after all if you're trying to lead the sheep into some new pen you must give them ideas which they're generally unaware of and when they're watching fiction they're oblivious of the fact that they're being propagandized completely oblivious to it and for everything is scripted as I say with specialized departments all pushing the public in different areas to bring them all together on the one path of a sustainable society, a sustainable world, uh, a greening agenda is all part of it. Gorbachev went into that in his own books, how they would create a world religion kind of based, based on a form of earth worship. That's what he was talking about. So, you see, everything can be done. And the old Masonic saying was that the reason they could get things done, including revolutions, was because if you had four men marching in step, meaning all together towards the same goal with determination, it was better and more efficient than a hundred guys all wandering around in different out of step doing their own thing. Very simple, isn't it? Very clear and simple. And it's only once in a while in media today that you get anyone who can get anything at truth out and say it clearly to the public without it being twisted, altered, or simply dismissed, or it doesn't appear in the paper at all. 
And it's an article here, it's like the king has no clothes type of idea. Uh, and it's from the Czechoslovakian president to do with the, the recent United Nations climate meeting. He says, the UN pro- climate meeting was propaganda, Czechoslovakian president. That is from Reuters, uh, Tuesday, September the 22nd. And it says here, uh, Czechoslovakian president Václav Klaus sharply criticized a UN meeting on climate change on Tuesday at which US President Barack Obama was among the top speakers, describing it as propagandistic and undignified. Undignified really is a nice polite way of saying it was full of lies. That's how they speak up there, undignified. Deception. He said it was sad and it was frustrating, said Klaus, one of the world's most vocal skeptics on the topic of global warming. It's a propagandistic exercise where 13-year-old girls from some faraway country perform a pre-rehearsed poem, he said. It's simply not dignified. At the opening of the summit attended by nearly 100 world leaders, 13-year-old Yagrantna Srivastava of India told the audience that governments were not doing enough to combat the threat of climate change. You see how they orchestrate this? It's so pathetic, isn't it, really? As Klaus said, there were increasing doubts in the scientific community about whether humans are causing changes in the climate or whether the changes are simply naturally occurring phenomena. But politicians, he said, seem to be moving closer to a consensus on climate change. Now, I've told you before that there's even uh, foundations out there, many, many front foundations funded by the, the few main ones, like Rockefeller, um, who, whose job it is, is to go around all the other ones and governments and get consensus. That means get them all on board in the same agenda. And promises. They must sign their X on little treaties and so on. He says the train can't be stopped. I agree with him because there's been too much put into this. We've already got children growing up totally brainwashed. He says, I consider that a huge mistake, Klaus said. You wonder how communism could come into being and rule the minds of people with nothing but lies. And, and throwing out statistics and, and having meetings in the Soviet Union. I used to actually go over those meetings at the Soviet Union, and it was for all the party members. It's all those sort of bureaucratic types that worked for government. They'd all attend these grand annual announcements when they were told that everything had gone up and the standard of living was better and, and, and they were going ahead and had better cars and all this kind of stuff. And everybody knew it was a lie. But the, these little trained prostitutes would all clap and clap and clap, uh, oblivious or something disregarding all reality. That's how easy it is. When we write into it right now, we're in it right now. Mainstream media across the world is exactly what this guy says here. It can't be stopped because it's a, it's a mandate. It's a must be. They aren't going to backtrack on this at all. It wouldn't matter if God himself came into the sky there and appeared across the planet and says this is all BS no bothersome bothersome stuff they'd still go ahead they have to now they can't backtrack they've got everything uh, hinging on global warming climate change man's the problem got to depopulate etc the whole agenda is based around this and that's what he says the train can't be stopped and I consider that a huge mistake Klaus said United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, I think he's over the moon, organized the climate summit to help create momentum before a UN meeting in Copenhagen in December. 
That's going to be the big one to reach agreement on new targets for reducing so-called greenhouse gas emissions. Do you realize, you know, oh, about 80% of the population would have to not be here to achieve their targets? Have you ever thought about it? Klaus published a book in 2007 on the worldwide campaign to stop climate change entitled Blue Planet and Green Chains, What is Under Threat, Climate or Freedom? In the book, Klaus said global warming has turned into a new religion. Remember, Gorbachev said that in his own book, Towards a New Civilization. An ideology that threatens to undermine freedom and the world's economic and social order. And we'll be back with more after this break. through the matrix just discussing how things are pre-planned and we're seeing charades or shows presented to us you think even the G20 meeting I can remember when the, the, these G8s and so on started and it was never explained to the public really what they were uh, except there's a little get together with different heads of state as he called it no idea and they've announced this every year a G8 meeting year and so on Maybe one, a one-liner of something, one topic maybe out of a whole bunch of things that was discussed. But what it was is to familiarize the people of a new type of governance. And it took years of, of these little things that would come out until you just expect them to be there. Now, no one ever said, wait a minute now, um, this, these are international organizations, international. Uh, why would you vote in a president or prime minister that's national? You vote them to look after your interests when he's off talking about world interests. And that's what we have to do. We're simply training us into a new form of governance without us consciously even thinking through it, getting us used to the idea, subliminally, in a sense. And now that it's become commonplace, we hear that we've heard it for 20-odd years or more, um, they just announced they're having their, their annual G20, like it's part of some constitution or something that no one voted for. This directing the world and where we all are supposed to go in the world. And it didn't start with these guys. These guys are puppets. It started a long time ago uh, with the guys who set up the whole system of taking over the planet with a, a planned society, the way things should be run and organized. The ultra-elite, the great uh, the philanthropic types that made all their dough. And mind you, keep, make sure they still keep a control of all the dough that's out there. That's what it's all about. And I went, I went through the history of the Milner Group, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, became the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They have it all through the British Commonwealth countries. That's what runs our countries. And they have councils in foreign relations for other countries that are not under, directly under, at least not officially, the British Crown. That's what runs them. During World War II, uh, the house at Chatham House in England was the headquarters of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, a private organization, remember, a big club of very rich people. They they were called the establishment. They owned everything. They told governments what to do. And during the war, they turned it into uh, basically the headquarters for the OSS, 
why did they depict that? Because, you see, they already were the only international spy agency up and running. That's why. And the OSS became MI6, and it also became the CIA for America. Still run by the same people. That's why it's intertwined. In the book of declassified information about America's cultural Cold War, and I've mentioned it on the air a few times, quite a good book to read. It's kind of boring at some spots. Two were done with personalities and how the author tries to give you the pictures of them. But you just get the facts and you have declassified information. And a lot of this is in the book. And they even ran the cultures of the country. That's what the whole thing was about, through music, arts, entertainment, uh, and all that kind of stuff. For a specific purpose, to aim towards a certain direction and take the public's minds with them. So we don't really think through things. We We take things as granted as they're presented to us, as being your culture. And you don't notice where it's being altered, even though you go along in and, and participate in the alteration. So a, a massive organization was already on the go at the beginning of the 1900s, tremendously organized across the world. As I say, it was the intelligence service. But it was also the richest organization in the world because it owned all the resources through its members. And its plan was to bring in a eugenically controlled society where they'd have enough labor for the job and no more, that kind of thing. Uh, enough people in a certain place or a certain country for the job and no more. And they talked openly about population reduction then. When they set up the League of Nations, they had a department for that. They have the same thing the United Nations. And as I say, through years of propaganda, we've come to accept these world leaders, our national leaders, they're not calling them, calling them world leaders, by the way. You notice the change, that world leaders? Why would they run to be a president or prime minister if they're a, a, a world leader? Think about it. This is an official title, a legal title. It's not about your interests at all. They're all on board with the same agenda. They're internationalists, bringing us all into a, a, an equal state of poverty, because that's the whole idea. I've given you the quotes of many of them in the past and the websites where you'll find the quotes where they've said there can never be another United States of America and that their job is to dismantle the industry and everything that's left in America and return it back to basically a, a little plantation of, of United Nations Agenda 21 villages where we make baskets and stuff and trade them for shoelaces and all that rubbish. No kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, so here's one of the spiels that they put out for the media uh, from the guardian.co.uk. Uh, Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister of Britain, Fabian Society member, took over from the previous Fabian Society member. He says, uh, he warns next six months will, be, will test the world. Test the world. And I'll go into the reasons why it's going to get tested according to this Fabian communist, basically, elitist and eugenicists. Welcome back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Talking about, again, this, uh, this reality that they're foisting upon the world, and it's working very well. Most folk haven't a clue that all their opinions are being given to them. They're being led to scientific indoctrinations by the media into forming conclusions that they were supposed to come to. And they all do, you know. They all do. It works very well. It's worked for a long time. But here, as I'm saying, I'm showing the, the dilemma where so-called national leaders that uh, wrap themselves in your flags, no matter what country you're in, and uh, bring out the, the tribal symbols of your country, and they should get into office. And once they're in there, there's suddenly global leaders, global leaders, you see. And uh, what they don't tell you is they were pre-chosen uh, at Bilderberger conferences in different places like that. They should go there and get the rubber stamp put on them. And... They know what their role is. They're groomed for their roles as internationalists. That's all you have allowed today are internationalists. And it wasn't the great wars, the big world wars, that really made these things happen. They were very essential for them, for this society to come in. But they were used by these same people as an excuse of the need for world government. So the guys who created world government, and Carl Quigley who was the historian for this particular group, who he said was behind every major war for the last hundred years. Uh, the same guys blame the people for having the wars and say we need global government, their goal all along. These are great chess players, these guys at the top. I'm not talking about Tony Blair or, or Gordon Brown or Obama. They're front, they're little front actors. They'll do very well for themselves. They'll get a great paycheck. They'll get ghost-written books and paybacks via the kind of ghost-written books after they retire. That's how they pay them off for being good little boys. Remember, in all utopian systems and communistic systems, the ones at the top live incredibly well, incredibly well, all these, these bureaucratic types. Spies who came uh, across from the Iron Curtain during the Cold War uh, didn't come across, they would tell you this, because all came from, from the top families. Again, intergenerational spies, you might say, bureaucrats and government employees. They, they, they left for other reasons, not for financial reasons. They had the equivalent, and this is all in the papers in Britain and elsewhere, they had the equivalent uh, income and luxury goods as the bureaucratic elites in the Western world. So they're paid very, very, very well. So here's little gopher here, Gordon Brown. He says at this meeting, today warned that the world is entering a critical six-month period that is likely to test the resolve of, and here with the term again, you see this, this slip in, most folk don't notice it, of global leaders. They're global leaders, you see. Even more than the banking crisis of the past year did. Now, who are these global leaders? Well, they're referring to themselves. Speaking to the, I like how they phrase this too, the UN. The UN is French for one. So it is true, speaking to the one, the UN General Assembly in New York, he said that if world leaders, again, there is again, showed the moral courage to meet the challenges uh, they would have for the first time in human history created a truly global society. Now, a lot of people say, what's wrong with a global society? Now, I haven't said there wasn't. But if it evolved by itself, it would be a different thing. This has not evolved by itself and not for the, for the needs of the people. This has been a, created by the elite who already ruled previous centuries. It's not for your benefits at all. 
a truly global society. He said the great lesson of the last year is that only... Now, here we go with the Masonic bold, not bold and audacity. Bold and global action prevented. Can you, this is the sort of stuff you would have heard. Uh, it's a communist uh, meeting, a world, an annual meeting, as they gave you all this, all these lies out about how well they were all doing. And it all clapped like it was all true, because they're all employees near the top. Listening to this, only bold and global action prevented a recession becoming a depression. Now, the IMF apparently did nothing. But what's happened so far is, is these guys, these global leaders, as he calls himself, uh, robbed the taxpayers, and maybe 10 generations to come, maybe, maybe 20 generations to come, into slavery to pay off a debt to their pals, the bankers, who they serve. That's what happened. But that's, that's the sort of stuff, the way that, that's how they, they would have worded it in the Soviet era. You see, we have delivered a coordinated fiscal and monetary response that the International Labour Organization estimates has saved 7 to 11 million jobs. They love putting out absolute fantastic figures out of thin air. Brown was speaking much later than expected, owing to the vast overrun in speeches by other world leaders, notably those of Colonel Gaddafi of Libya, and the U.S. President Barack Obama. Setting out his foreign policy agenda in the run-up to next year's general election, Obama defined the five new great challenges for the next six months. Here's what it is for this national leader. Famine in Africa. Nuclear proliferation. Climate change. Changes in the weather. Right? Ending the recession. And terrorism. He missed out flu. On all five issues, he said the world was at a point of no return. There's a, an ominous statement for you from the, these guys that, that serve the, the real occult, the ones behind them. A point of no return, eh? The lesson of the banking crisis was that global challenges can only be mastered through global solutions. I guess you just tax everybody to death, which probably will be the agenda. In his starkest language yet about the risks of failure at the UN Conference on Climate Change in December in Copenhagen, he describes the talks as the next great test of our global cooperation. If we miss the opportunity to protect our planet, we cannot hope for a second chance sometime in the future. There will be no retrospective global agreement to undo the damage we have caused. We have caused, he says. Now, the other day I mentioned all the big promoters of the greening agenda across the world. Guess who? The, all the big oil companies are in there. All the guys that ripped up mountains for gold, they're all in there. The guys who do it all are all backing the NGOs to get to the, they've got a whole new world. With, and they'll be in, into a whole bunch of different fields after all of this. But they'll still own the present ones as well. So they blame the public once again. Get out if the poorest and most vulnerable are going to be able to adapt, again, Darwinian, if the emerging economies are going to embark on low-carbon development paths, if the forest nations are going to be slow and stop deforestation, then the richer countries must contribute financially. In other words, we've got to pay for it all. We've got to pay for it all. We've got to eat more donuts because that's what all they're selling now. Everything's passed around here in a service economy. We manufacture pretty well nothing. He also warned Iran and North Korea that the world would be even tougher on proliferation and be ready to consider further sanctions. Maybe some of the nuclear packs and all the rest of it. It's 
a farce, though. It's such a farce how the stage is given to the public, one stage after another, with our national, international, globalist leaders here, uh, all worried about other countries. You see, there's only one agenda. There's only one agenda, only one plan. Different branches of it working in specialized areas, but there's only one plan here. There's no such thing as any public input, and there's no democracy to be seen, not even over the horizon. An interesting little statement he said here. Get able to understand the little couch, how they couch things for their own, for their own at times. On the economy, he argued the G20 meeting in Pittsburgh would have to consider carefully when to reduce the impact, when to reduce the impact of stimulus measures. But he insisted we must not turn off the life support of for our economy prematurely. Like how they added prematurely. We must not turn off the life support of our economy prematurely means they're going to turn it off eventually. Then it goes on about, uh, it's fantastic that, that free health care is going to go to 10 million Africans and Asians and claim that the beginnings of universal free health care in Africa were emerging countries such as Burundi, Sierra Leone, Malawi, Liberia, and Ghana. See, that was part of the plan too, going back all the way to the League of Nations. They bring in a health authority that became the World Health Organization to the United Nations to standardize across the world, but not just to help actually to control people. And at the top of its agenda is population control with government backing. Mandatory, that is. That's what it's about. So, these national, international, globalist uh, leaders are all on board because they're all pre-picked by the same organization. That's how it's done. It's quite easy, isn't it? Quite easy once you understand it, study the stuff. Because that's to do, they do publish where they want to take the world all the time. Nobody reads the books, they're too thick, boring, and uh, there's no sex and violence in them, and no one reads them. But they do publish them. That's a legality, that's why they publish them. Because they all, their historians in the future will say uh, the stuff was all published, the public didn't mind, they all went along with it. That's literally how they'll, they'll write it. That's how they will write it. You know, I've mentioned before, too, that um, Professor Carl Quigley, the historian for the Council of Foreign Relations, said uh, that the politicians never retire. They, fall, they, they formed a parallel government. And Margaret Thatcher also referred to that parallel government, where they know all the ex-prime ex ministers and presidents across the world, and now they can get the real jobs done off the agenda behind the scenes, and they're not responsible to the public. They're called technocrats once they're in that position. Like the Kissingers and the Brzezinskis, who wield the true power, as quickly said. More power than prime ministers and presidents. And say they're not responsible to the public. That's really how it's done. And they never retire them. They put them in there, and they never retire. They give them cushy jobs, but they always put them in charge of some big NGO some big uh, system uh, to bring in the new system. Now, Clinton, what's he into? What did they do with Clinton? Apart from giving him fantastic payoffs through books that he didn't bother writing uh, before they were even uh, put into, into publication. Because they do look, look after their own. Well, he's been put in 
charged by a foundation uh, and, and of NGOs, and it's called the Clinton Global Initiative. Clinton Global Initiative. What is it? And it's met here on the page. I've got all these sites up, links up on my site at the end of the show. President Barack Obama and President Bill Clinton addressed the opening plenary session of the fifth annual meeting of the Clinton Global Initiative. Let's go President Obama to address opening plenary session, blah, blah, blah. Uh, now accepting press credential requests for the fifth annual meeting. Youth tackling world ills get cash through Clinton. He's actually paying cash to a lot of these little youngsters to come on board with it, you see. And they put a lot of their findings through the schools. That becomes part of that. But the other part is to train the media. Train the media. What, how they should write about any topic uh, for the global society. In other words, it's the new Soviet system of writing that, that uh, all journalists will start to get taught in college. And the ones who are presently alive, already, they're already on board, obviously, the smell which way the wind's going. They're already politically correct, as they call it. What is it in charge of? It's in charge of other branches of it. One is called uh, the Global Council for Media Transformation 2009. The Global Council for Media Transformation will develop and champion a set of media principles, media principles, you see, and practices designed to facilitate the global community's capacity to successfully recognize, understand, and manage our human interdependence. Then they go into the, 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 the cost. It will be $5 million for this, that, and the other. Uh, the commitment you must go in for five years. Geographic region is global. I guess you a list of all the countries that are presently involved in it. And it says, the Global Council of Media Transformation will initiate the transformation of media by introducing a charter. Those of these charters you sign on, it's legally binding, you see designed to encourage media, to encourage media to turn away from reporting in the national interest, to stop reporting, they're saying here, in the national interest, and embrace a new style of perspective of reporting that replaces the collective human interest as its center. The collective human interest, global. Beginning at CGI, the Global Council will collect feedback and endorsements on the draft charter available during the conference in September from members and other attendees. This is a bigger one than the one we're hearing of the U.S. The U.N. is just a formality. This is what goes on behind the scenes. The Global Council will collect endorsements from 10 million individuals and will be adopted by media operating in 100 countries. And they're not saying they're hoping it will be adopted by media in 100 It says the Global Council will collect endorsements from 10 million individuals and will be adopted by media operating in 100 countries. Through the reach of these media who adopt the charter, we anticipate over 100 million individuals will be impacted. Then it goes on and on and on. So it's quite something, as I say, when you really go into what's really going on. And here's the, the bit, I'll put these, all these links up to do with this on this Clinton initiative, global initiative. Here's their, their homepage. It says, 
Bill Dion, President Clinton's lifetime, he was in a lifetime in public service. Did you know that? I didn't know he was in a lifetime in public service. The Clinton Global Initiative, CGI, reflects his belief that governments need colla- uh, collaboration from the private sector. Remember I was telling you yesterday, when we run by private sector, a new feudal system, according to Carla Quigley, with the 12 wise men in top, the richest people on the planet, who will be, of course, very, very, uh, um, very much philanthropic about it all. You know, benevolent dictatorships in this new feudal system. So it reflects the belief that governments need collaboration from the private sector, non-governmental organizations, that's the new Soviet, the, the rule by councils, and other global leaders to effectively confront the world's most pressing problems. After attending thousands of meetings during his career, thousands of meetings really, in which urgent needs were discussed but no action was taken to resolve them, President Clinton saw a need to establish a new kind of meeting with an emphasis on results. In 2005, President Clinton established CGI to turn ideas into action. Now, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. The big foundations tell them what they're going to do once they come out of office. They already know, and they set it up for them. To turn ideas into action and to help our world move beyond the current state of globalization to a more integrated, that means completely bound, global community of shared benefits, responsibilities, and values. So they give you all new values and everything. By gathering world leaders from a variety of backgrounds, CGI creates a unique opportunity to channel the capacities of individuals and organizations, that's the NGOs, to realize change, or change is good. To fulfill action-oriented mission of CGI, all members devise practical solutions to global issues through the development of specific and measurable commitments to action. So I'll be back with more after this break. Cutting through the matrix, just talking about the new the new Sovietization of the entire planet, and they don't use the term because they don't want you to think about it or even realize what it is. But of course, remember the Club of Rome said they would use the collectivist society, meaning Soviet society, which they studied. They thought it was the most uh, suitable for the world they envisaged coming into place that they planned to bring in. And as it happens. You're seeing that the news now is always it's always over there somewhere. It's got nothing to do with you. Same in Europe with the European Parliament that no one wanted except the boys who planned it. Again, the Milner bunch back down to the Ministry of International Affairs. And uh, it's almost like they're decreeing from a different planet about different things that have nothing really directly to do with you that are going to affect you. That's how remote things come. Can you imagine how remote it will be when it all comes through the United Nations, which it almost is right now, in fact. All charters, all laws are, are, are passed from the United Nations to governments who sign them into law. They have been for years. But things are going to get more and more bizarre. Now, people are getting worried about this um, swine flu shot and all the rest of it, and it's all pros and cons. Are we going to get it mandatory? And we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. All this kind of stuff. And some companies certainly have said that it's going to be mandatory, which is a disgrace in itself, because that means, what are you? When they can have access to your body like that and stick anything in, or even squirt the mist in your face, if it was a Zyklon B, maybe, and you're supposed to take it, 
you're, you're a beast, you see. You're not, a, you're not a human being with rights and choices. You're a beast. We should not allow ourselves to be trained in this fashion. And we should tell them where to go with it. And people are worried too about even chipping going in. Where does all this fear about a chip come from? Why is the journal 24th of September 2009 has an article on very chips, uh, swine flu chip? And this is a fact. This Reuters report below tells how on Monday very chip chairs jumped 186% due to patent on their swine flu pandemic detecting mini microchip for the purpose of human implantation which is a massive upgrade to their current microchip already in thousands of people from children to the elderly for Alzheimer's. If your grasp of technological devices hangs from proper disk to Wi-Fi, let routers inform you a little bit about very chips device. Actually, routers promotes the corporation's stocks. Of course they do, because Rothschild owns routers. But uh, they go on about it. Yeah, it says... Um, uh, the shares tripled after the company said it had gained an exclusive license to two patents, which will help it to develop implantable virus detection systems in humans. Now, they want us chipped under any guise at all, and this is beautiful. And if you scroll down, read the article and scroll down, you'll see even an article here from Hitachi. It's misspelled in this article. It should be, but it says H-A-T-C-H-I should be Hitachi. But, but there's a link that will take you to the Hitachi website from 2003, where they say it has a, a, a wireless system. It's, I think, um, 0.4 millimeters by 0.4 millimeter chip. That's the smallest integrated circuit contains its own antenna. operates entirely on its own by using existing electrical frequencies around, around it. Well, every, these... Um, Wi-Fi is everywhere. That's what stimulates it. Cell phones. Technology stimulates, stimulates it. They're going to chip us one way or another if we let them. And if we let them t- t- um, stick shots into us with all this gooey stuff of slaughter, uh, then that's part way towards it. We allow them to do the next thing and put a chip in us. Well, I ain't taking it. I hope you're not either. From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada... It's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.